0: Radio Gag, the Gays Against Guns show. Prepare to gag, yeah!
1: Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Radio Gag, the weekly gaze Against gun show. Radio Gag is your weekly update on how to end the horror that is the American gun violence epidemic. I'm your host, Ty Kersley. On today's show, we'll discuss the state of New York we have a round table of gun violence prevention activists sharing their views on gun violence in our region. The urgency in this discussion is both the rising incidence of gun violence in our state and the pending Supreme Court decision on whether the Second Amendment should restrict the legal process on issuing handgun permits. In this two-part series, we will discuss cultural changes due to COVID, including mental health and domestic violence, gun violence and hate crimes against minorities, including the Asian American and Pacific Islander community, and the Supreme Court case, New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Bruin. But first, the gun violence prevention news taken from the trace. On Saturday, May 15th, an 18-year-old gunman from Conklin, New York, drove 200 miles, put on tactical body armor, and walked into a Topps Friendly Markets grocery store in Buffalo, New York. He shot and killed ten people, injuring three others. Eleven of the victims were black and two white, police said. The perpetrator, who live-streamed the attack, said his actions, down to his targeting Buffalo's majority Black East side, were motivated by his hatred of black people. The FBI is investigating it as a racially motivated hate crime, the gunman had painted a racial slur on his gun along with the number 14, a popular white supremacy reference. In a statement, President Joe Biden denounced the shooting and said that a racially motivated hate crime is abhorrent to the very fabric of this nation. Gays Against Guns has made it part of our mission to respond within 48 hours of any public mass shooting of this size. Yesterday, May 16th, gag held an action for the mass shooting in Buffalo. Here is Sarah Jermaine Lilly with our in memoriam of the lives lost in Buffalo.
2: In memoriam those who died in Buffalo on Saturday. Marcus D. Morrison, 52, Buffalo, New York. Marcus was always smiling and being positive. He was waiting at the bus stop outside Tops on his way home. His cousin said he was a good guy who will be missed. His brother asked his cousin to post he didn't deserve what happened because of that racist. Geraldine Taylor, 62, Buffalo, New York. Geraldine worked at Topps. She was a sweet, sweet person, according to her niece, who added she was shopping and this man comes out of his neighborhood to attack her because of her skin color, because of her zip code, you know, because it was a predominantly black neighborhood. Andre McNeil, 53, Buffalo, New York. Andre was at Tops getting his three-year-old son's birthday cake. Catherine Massey, 72. Catherine was a civil rights advocate who had called for stricter gun regulations. A community leader, she spent her spare time picking up trash and donating supplies to local schools. Aaron Salter, Jr., 55, Buffalo, New York. Aaron retired as a police officer after 30 years, working as a security guard for Topps Friendly Market. He fired multiple shots at the shooter, but they bounced off the gunman's tactical gear. Roberta Drury, 32, Buffalo, New York. Roberta had moved to Buffalo to help her brother recover from a bone marrow transplant. Celestine Chaney, 29, Buffalo, New York. Celestine went to buy strawberries to make a shortcake. She was a single mother and a breast cancer survivor. Haywood Patterson, 67, Buffalo, New York. Deacon Hayward Tenney Patterson would frequently give people rides to and from the top supermarket and was helping someone load groceries when he was murdered. Ruth Whitfield, 86, Buffalo, New York. Ruth was the mother of a retired Buffalo fire commissioner she was the primary caretaker for her husband and was coming home from visiting him in a nursing home when she was killed pearl young 77 buffalo new york pearl ran a food pantry in the neighborhood for 25 years feeding people every saturday her niece said she was an individual that just poured out of herself and out of her substance you know to help anybody she was full of love. We remember you. So uh, welcome to our roundtable listeners. Uh, we're going to introduce ourselves in a minute, but it's great to be here on a Friday afternoon with so many things shifting around us. Um, you're going to be listening to us uh, in the afternoon too. So we're going to try to make it fresh and relevant for you. And we're, I'm Sarah Lilly. Uh, one of the hosts of Radio Gag and a high school teacher, among many other hats. And uh, we're gonna have Ty and Wendy and Sun and uh, Jay introduce themselves too.
0: Hey, I'm JW Walker. I'm one of the founding members of Gays Against Guns.
3: I'm Wendy Jones, a member of Gays Against Guns, a, a writer, pub, independent publisher and activist.
4: Um, I'm Sunny Moon and I am a volunteer with Gays Against Guns and Moms Demand Action and a uh, mom and a former physician. Or I'm al- I'm always a physician. I'm I'm not <laughs> practicing medicine.
5: <laughs>
4: not actively practicing medicine.
5: Well, I'm Ty Kersey. We're going to go through a few topics um, that have come up in meetings and how gun violence is affected uh, New York, but more specifically, the last few years of the increased gun violence um, in the country itself. So, I want to start off with the uprise in gun violence itself. Jay, you were talking about how that just has completely changed in the last couple of years.
0: Hi, uh, yes. Um, it's just, it's really striking that we, um, what we saw, I guess, it really began in the summer of 2020 uh, as people started coming out of quarantine. After two and a half you know after two and a half uh, two and a half months of kind of being on lockdown and especially in a lot of major urban areas, but uh, it has just continued and continued and continued uh, on through you know on for for the last two years um, and uh, what we see in um Among our our policy uh, our policy folks and our politicians uh, in in those cities and and at the national level is this increased reliance on on getting more cops on the street and 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 the punishment aspect and uh, you know at very little um, about what's actually driving this increase, about the extraordinary, um challenges to Americans' mental health and feelings of of security that um that, to my mind, seem to be driving us. i am uh, I am glad that lately, over the last course of the last couple of months, we have been hearing a little bit more about how the pandemic um, you know, is affecting this. But even then, they just sort of do a blanket. Oh, it's 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 coming from the pandemic, but they don't really delve into, um, into the details about the many ways that um, that many different Americans from many different walks of life, um, are, are have been affected by the pandemic and how that may be driving, um, driving this this increase in in gun
4: violence.
3: Yeah, this is uh, Wendy Jones and, and Jay. I really um. I understand exactly what you're saying. And then they need to have like little stories like, okay, you've got, you've got, you've got um, Sheila and she and her spouse together make enough money to live in New York, but now she has to do her work and deal with the kids being home and oversee them. Right. So she's getting panicky, you know, and she used to do, okay. So she'd have a little glass of, you know, wine with dinner, not a big deal. And then it became two glasses and it became three. So she's under stress, but we discuss that, right? We discuss that and try to deal with that. Um, and then there's Charlie, who's, whose spouse died and he couldn't go see her because of COVID. So, you know, he's ordering in Big Macs and his kids are worried about him because he's sitting in front of the TV and he's getting more and more obese. He has heart issues. And all right. So we want We can understand him. Right. Okay. And then we have Jared. Right. Now his grandmother raised him because his, his mother died of, you know, complications from diabetes. His father is incarcerated. His, his grandmother's been raising him. Well, his grandmother died in COVID. He's 16, nobody else can connect with him in the family. You know, he's in an area where he thinks he has to have a gun and he's angry and depressed and he gets involved in crime. Oh, lock him up, lock him up. We don't lock these other people up. You know, can, can you have a little compassion? Can you have a little understanding of the different levels of people? And this person is just hanging on by a thread and, and we're gonna throw him into a jail cell, why?
0: Exactly, and, and the fact is that I think a lot of this was predictable. You know, we, we we understand how extraordinary stresses take their toll on a person's psyche. And, you know, from the beginning, you know, under the, the, the former guy's administration, you know, this could have been foreseen. We had, you know, really great, I, I think great uh, public health experts dealing with the particulars of this particular disease and the pandemic. Um, but where, you know, where was our, our, our outreach to, to mental health experts, to social workers, to sociologists, to prepare us for the, the inevitable eventualities that were going to come out of, of all of the stress and strain um, on, on our populace. And now, you know, it's it, the cat's already out of the bag um it's 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 too late and so they haven't done anything regarding prevention and now it's just all all punishment
2: yeah I gotta say as a high school teacher um it's a mess and parents families that I talk to it doesn't matter I I haven't talked to a family I you know these things cut across economic status, they cut across neighborhoods and even states, and you know there's been h- horrific massive increases in gun sales in rural America, and these people are not unaffected by all of the outcomes around gun violence uh, you know despite the fact that they might be they might be economically maybe better off or they could handle a little bit better than some people being off of work for a couple of months. But yeah, it's hit hard. And the biggest thing to me that I see is with kids who are, you know, kids are growing and um, they uh, are experiencing things in a, a new way and the their environment is changing. And they're constantly developing but they need all of this experimentation and interaction in order to grow and to learn the kind of things that they they need to do we have a big increase in fights in our school um big increase in just academic deficits and kids just not um uh, just not getting the work done that they need to do to graduate and these are kids who are now going in person but a a much higher percentage of students and even attendance hasn't really recovered. Um, And yet, you know, I mean, we're we're there every day, so we're looking for things to get better and we're also, um, you know, it's our community. So uh, yeah, there's a lot of stress going around, but young people have lost a lot and we're giving them an even bigger burden to grapple with.
1: You are listening to Radio Gag, the gays against gun show here on listener sponsored commercial free radio WBAI. We are here every Tuesday at 2.30 bringing you the latest in gun violence prevention movement news.
0: It is a really interesting aspect of the way that our press, and this is kind of writ large um, deals with, with, with pending Supreme Court cases. Um, and you know, because the truth is that if this recent leak hadn't occurred uh, on the um, on the on the the, the case is gonna the, most likely gonna overturn Roe versus Wade. If that leak hadn't occurred, we would not have had anything in the news about that case until the Supreme Court's decision was released at the end of June, right before everybody like starts going away for vacation and, and everything, and the, and this you know the story would have you know, done that sort of disappearing act. Possibly, I mean, I think that enough women would have been angry, but, but um, <laughs> to, to to make it last for a little bit longer. But um, you know, and that and and the thing is with the New York media, particularly, it's like, do these reporters not get that they're the they're out in the streets of New York City reporting that when we're dealing with people that are you know, as we've said, are are are. are extraordinarily stressed and and at at the razor's edge and at the end of their tether, and then suddenly, you know, anybody can go out and buy a gun on the corner, like if they don't think that's going to affect their lives, you know, the same way that the Supreme Court isn't realizing that you knock down all of New York City's gun laws, you're knocking down all of Washington DC's gun laws, you know, and that barricade around the Supreme Court that they just erected to protect them from angry angry uh, uh, pro-choice people is not gonna stay up forever. Or maybe that's their intention, that it'll stay up forever and that will protect them. Um, it's, you know, it's, it, people, are, people are, are voting against their own interests time and time again in a lot of different ways, even people with extraordinary power and influence. And
5: that's why it is up to the you know someone in the media needs to explain the full story every time something like this can affect an entire nation um over one little thing that these guys didn't get to carry their weapons (laughs) in in their cars when they're traveling
4: well we saw that happen in virginia right because virginia was lost on one issue critical race theory and the boogeyman of critical race theory and you know, the media could have done a better job in explaining why that was a boogeyman issue, but we lost the Virginia, the state of Virginia over critical race theory. And that state had been going bluer and bluer for a while. And now they're, they're you know, all the gun laws that had passed under the previous democratic governor are being reversed. You know, it's just, it's so sad. But again, this, this you know, fear and racial animosity was used and weaponized and we saw you know like we just have to get better at combating that like i just i guess it's i guess it's i guess i guess fear and anger is much more of a driver than compassion and empathy and and we know that's true because i know that a lot of people were a lot more motivated when trump was president because they hated him so much and i know a lot of my friends are saying that they're burnt out but i think it's i think it's partly it's burnt, they're burnt out but i think it's because when you hate somebody you're much more likely to act and so on, on one end like they have it easier like our the other side because they have hatred on their side um uh which which is hard to battle but that's really you know the the gist of what's going on in my mind
5: right sunny and it's
4: all internal these aren't right.
5: outside threats to our country this is us doing it to ourselves um right.
2: it's a catastrophic failure of public responsibility on the part of our government, on the part of our media, you know, and there's always a scapegoat. Let's blame teachers. Let's blame this group, you know, Uh, but it, it really is. I mean, if you step back from it. You know, we know about the hypocrisy, but for God's sake. Could we have leaders who would be responsible?
3: Well, there's so many issues here that are intertwined because the media has been undermined for maybe since the 80s. I mean, all the newspaper, the local newspapers that went out of business because you know the, the hedge fund people got them, Alden Capital is one. I've been reading about them, the whole list of things, you know, Mother Jones did a whole thing on it. Um, there was something in uh, the Atlantic Monthly uh, last year, I think it was uh, about Alden Capital. And I know I was in National Writers Union, and those were former journalists who are now freelancers, right? So you've got all these people who used to cover the minutia, which is actually what you know what your everyday life is made up of. These people in the town council and that kind of thing, which may be boring, but it has to do with our everyday life. And then you just get more and more corporatization of everything. So maybe the reporter was doing the full story and couldn't get it printed or they knew there was no point in wasting time because it wouldn't get okay right there's a lot going on you almost you have to do alternate media you can't do you know the big guys because they're not going to cover stuff in any kind of depth you know well and
1: that's that's true
5: but unfortunately what's happened is then people have realized they can make money by just saying whatever they want and if i can make you feel better then you're going to listen to me
0: and it's not and that that sort of dearth of, of, of real and accurate news um, and, and, and information, it, it, it feeds the maw of, of white supremacist patriarchy, right? Because, you know, what we, we have is sort of this news ecosystem where you actually have to actively search for information that's accurate. But when you, you know, when you open up your Chrome browser, you you have you know 45 stories, two thirds of which are just clickbait about you know whatever subject. And no matter how many times you say I don't want to get news from this crap source, I don't want to get news from this crap source, more crap sources keep showing up in your in in your Chrome news feed when you open up your when you open up your browser. So you know because that 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 serves the purpose of keeping um, keeping our population, keeping our electorate as ignorant as possible. Because if, if, if actual competent, well-sourced information has to be ferreted out, has to be, you know, has to be searched for in order to get it. And what automatically comes up is just nonsense written by people that can't even, you know, construct a sentence um, that's- their they have followers. Uh, exactly. I'm important now.
5: Exactly. Listen, I
3: have
0: my own paper,
3: you know, <laughs> but you know, Sonny, tabloids. What, what, you, what you were saying that people had had gotten you know burnt out, and this these I mean they say this every year, but these next two years they're crucial. I'm reading the Quaking of America, fortunately with help because um, Rez, uh, Rezma Menachem talks about somatic abolition and that you have to change, you have to deal with your body, what's going on with your body before you can figure out how you're going to do political strategy. He wrote Grandmother's Hands, My Grandmother's Hands and his next book, um, his more recent book is The Quaking of America, which they say is very hard to read but he gives you exercises to help you because he gives you quote after quote which you can then look up of, of what the people say who are gonna, turning this Country into a fascist country, and I don't hear enough of it. I understand that people don't wanna yell and scream because people think they're crazy, but it is happening. It is happening now. A lot of people are talking about it, but you do not see it with enough emphasis and enough, what can we do? What can we do? Because it's, it's coming, it's coming. So we have, to, we have to work on what to do. We have to work on what to do. It's very scary, but we have to work on what to do and we will prevail, but it will not be easy.
4: So one of the so I just wanted to uh, state a couple of um, facts uh, just because I was reading about it. So the CDC announced uh, recently, and it, it's just making it into the Washington Post today, that 2020 had the highest gun homicide rate in 25 years since 1994. Um, so that was you know the height of the crack epidemic. It's they're not saying overall homicide, so but gun homicides was the highest it's been since. Um, uh nineteen ninety-four. And of course it's not evenly distributed and we know which groups were impacted the most. It's the usual groups that are always impacted when we're talking about violence. But that's where we're but that's where we're at in this country right now.
1: To find out more about working with us, please go to gazeagainstguns.net or follow us at gays against guns ny on Facebook and Instagram or gag no guns on Twitter. Come to a meeting. Here in New York, we meet one Thursday a month at 7 p.m. in Manhattan at the LGBT Center on 13th Street. Our next meeting is Thursday, May 26th, where we'll be planning all kinds of great actions and protests for the summer. So please join us. Everybody is welcome at any and all gag events. And another great way to get involved is by becoming a WBAI buddy. A WBAI buddy is someone who keeps our unique volunteer-run radio show going by giving a small donation every month. Just a modest monthly contribution can really help keep us on air here at WBAI to bring you this show every week. Just go to WBAI.org or call 212-209-2950 and become a BAI buddy in the name of Radio Gag. Thank you. Please tune in next week for part two of the state of New York, where we will hear more from our roundtable of gaggers on gun violence prevention. Thanks for listening. And we are back next Tuesday and every Tuesday at 2.30 p.m. And don't forget, you can listen to our previous shows anytime on the WBAI website or on any major podcast platform. And special thanks to our roundtable: Sarah, Sunny, Wendy, and Jay, And thank you, listeners. Have a great and safe day.